Uh, that laughter you hear, that's that's a sweet sound of Wade Smith. Wade, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing awesome, man. How are you doing today? Drew? I'm great. It's always good to talk with you. You, of course, we can hear you on the radio, Sports Radio 610 with Travis Johnson. Let me move this monitor so we can talk and have a real conversation like two pros. Can you hear you on Sports Radio 610? We see you around as a Texans ambassador. You, of course, played a decade in the league. You're a pro bowler for the Texans. You're a part of the greatest line in team history, franchise history. Decade plus two. Don't decade be, plus two, yes. Don't yeah, yeah. I was being out. general, but yeah. <laughs> I don't want to shortchange you ever because to make it to the league is one thing. To stay in there 12 years, holy moly. Let's start off just first of all. What did you think of the draft? What did you think about those first two linemen getting picked, really? Well, I thought going into the draft, you know, the Texans had a need at the offensive line position. And as an offensive lineman, you're used to being uh, kind of ne- not necessarily being prioritized in an organization or just in a in a game planning situation yeah. or whatever. And so you might know, okay, we need some help here, but you might not necessarily get it. So it was good to see that the Texans organization, you know, put some high draft picks onto the offensive line because I think some some talent infusion was was necessary. And so the guys they got are, are you know, Titus Howard is a, a first-round pick, and uh, he's a super athletic guy, uh, really really good size, you know, former quarterback. So you That's like wild. the fact that he's going to be he's going to be able to see the game from a different angle. I, th- I always like offensive linemen that played other positions first. I was a tight end first in my my career. And so was Dwayne. I was going to bring Brown, that up. Yeah, Dwayne, uh, Eric Winston. Mm-hmm. All, there's a lo- bunch of guys that were tight ends um, in their former lives, and then they became offensive linemen. And I, and I always like when you have that. That a uh, much multiple uh, multi multi dimensional skill set um, when you're playing the offensive line position, and so you have a guy like that that is he's learning the game himself. I mean, he's played the, the, the he's played tackle for three years now, and so that just means that his ceiling is so much higher than maybe somebody that's been doing it their entire life. And so I'm excited to see him play. And Max Sharpen's a guy. Wait, that, wait, wait! But before you get into Sharpen, okay, I just want to say. Howard is his own player. He's going to take his own journey, and I'm not saying he is or will be this, right. but just when he came in the building the morning after the draft, the day after the draft, just seeing him move around, like walking, talking, standing, he reminded me of Dwayne Brown and the way Dwayne moved in those ways. Now, I'm not saying they're the same, but it's it's just kind of interesting seeing that and then knowing his background, like you just mentioned, with the, the different positions and everything and, and seeing where he was taken late in the first round, like Dwayne. It's fun to see those similarities because Dwayne was amazing here. And maybe Titus will be like that, but it's I at least like that. I like seeing those similarities there. Yeah, with any players that come in after you, you want them to be at your level and if and, or better. And so yeah. if you can get a Titus Howard that comes in here that plays at the level of Dwayne Brown – that's that's an awesome home pick, run, and, yeah. and that's a home run pick for for the organization. And so, um, but of course, you, if you ask Dwayne, you'd want whoever that's supposed to be the one that replaces you. You want him to even be better than you. And so, yeah. you know, that's that's a lot for for Titus Howard to live up to. But I don't think he's the type of kid that even cares about any of that stuff. He's just the type of guy that's like, hey, Deshaun Watson is my quarterback, and I'm I want to protect him. I'm do everything I can to protect him, and that's the attitude that you want. Um, a young guy to come in here and take. How would you have liked to have blocked for Deshaun Watson? Oh, that would have been fun, man. I mean, he's 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 a, a super athletic guy, really accurate thrower of the football. Um, he's a, he's a leader, man. He's a he's he's a winner. He's won everywhere that he's been in his career. Um, of course, won, won a national championship at Clemson. He's done very well since he's been here at the Houston Texans, and 
Uh, he would be fun to block for. He, he would be the type of guy that when you made a mistake every now and again, he'll get you out of trouble. <laughs> um, not all quarterbacks have that ability right. to do that for you. And so he's also the type of guy that you could do so many things with. You can run zone reads with them and you can, you can run quarterback sweeps with them and, and get touchdowns. You know, you've seen um, him do that. And just the, the group that we had while I was here with the Texans, and if you coupled that with, you know, an Arian Foster and an Owen Daniels and Deshaun Watson. And Andre Johnson. Andre Johnson, of course. I mean, it, it wouldn't be fair. That yeah. would definitely been fun to watch. It's funny. About a year or so ago, we had Andre on one of the Fuddrucker shows. And sort of we were asking the same sort of thing that I just asked you. and Just like the perfect Andre way, he said, um, somebody said I'd catch 20 touchdowns if I played with him. You know, like the way he, Yeah. it's really not out of the realm of possibility if you think about the two talents, you know? Yeah, I mean, think about what Deshaun has done with Will Fuller and what he's done with, with uh, D-Hop. Like, yeah. You know, he's he's getting the, the ball to those guys on, on big plays down the field. Um, he's finding them in the red zone and throwing fades to them, and they're, they're going up and getting it. And um, he's he, he knows how to distribute the ball to all of his skilled guys, and so you know, it would definitely have been fun to play with Deshaun as a quarterback. Max Sharpin is a guy that – you expect to come in here and compete. There's a bunch of spots that he can possibly compete at. And so um, it's just a matter of how how quick does he pick up the offense? How quick does he um, translate from playing at the college level to the NFL level? Um, and that'll determine how quick he ends up playing. Rest of the draft class, I don't want to go through one by one, but what stood out to you, the offensive lineman aside, that you really were excited about? Well, I was definitely excited about Kahali Waring. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that kid from San Diego State, like, I watched his highlight tape, and you just saw that every time the ball was in his area, he's reaching down catching. He's, there's no double catching. Um, he runs good routes. You see him be a willing blocker, even though in that offense they weren't necessarily asking him to do that too much. I'm sure when he's here in Houston, um, that's something he's going to be um, he's going to have to do. But I think that you know from all reports, he's going to be a willing blocker. Yeah. Um, but he's a really good athlete, um, really good size. Uh, this is the type of guys that you want to accumulate on your roster. Um, and so I'm excited about seeing him play. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to see uh, Lonnie Johnson kid play, the cornerback. Um, he's going to be learning under uh, Jonathan Joseph. I and mean, I couldn't think of a better guy to be a veteran yeah. person in the room that's kind of teach you the ropes about how to be a professional and how to play cornerback at this level. But Lonnie Johnson, I mean, he's, he's got all the measurables. He's got the, the, the height, the length, and uh, really fast. and so um, Arms that hang to the yeah, floor. Yeah, and, and a lot of times it reminds me kind of like a, a Richard Sherman body type. And so you, you don't know if, if, if he can play anywhere near that level, then that's a great pick as well. So what do you think, what do you think the additions of Howard and Sharping do in the offensive line room? Because you also added Khalil in the offseason. Henderson's coming back from injury. There might be some other guys who were younger last year rising up a little bit. At minimum, competition has just been bolstered to the nth degree. I mean, and that's a great thing, but at maximum, what, I mean, what's the ceiling there? Well, you got to think about it. If you look at it left to right, you know, you're going to have a competition there between uh, Julian Davenport, who's the incumbent starter, and you have, like you said, Matt Khalil coming, who's had uh, a, pro- a Pro Bowl in his career in the past, and he's coming off an injury, and so he's trying to get back to that level that he was at earlier in his career. And then you have Titus Howard um, and, and Max Sharpie that are first round, first and second round draft picks. They're high picks, and so high picks, you, you expect a high pick to play. So that yeah. means if you're a veteran in the room, you know that you're going to have to be on point and you're going to have to improve on whatever you did in the past in order to fight those guys off. Um, same thing with, like, Senio Calamente and Zach Fulton. They're two guards that came in last year as, as free agents. Um, and, you know, they, they played 
they they did had some struggles with the fact that they had some injuries, and so they, I know yeah. they're going to both want to to be healthy this year so they can put their best foot forward. Because you have a guy like Martinez Rankin, who last year was a tackle, that I think is going to get a, a bunch of looks at at guard this year. And so um, there's a bunch of guys that are going to be fine fine for only five spots. There's only five spots, and there's probably. 10 guys on the roster that legitimately think you know I have an opportunity to start here and so when you have a situation like that that just means that everyone has to raise up their game and, and competition will bring out the best in everyone you mentioned playing through injury you had to do that were the ribs in November of 12 the worst injury that you had to actually play through and and play with um or was there, was there something that was the most pain that was the most painful injury but I think the worst injury that I had to play through was um, after I got my knee scope in 2013, because I, you know, I was always an athletic offensive lineman. I got my knee scope during training camp, mm. and so I came back. I, I did everything I could to to fight and get back in time to play during the regular season um, against the Chargers. And if you go back and look at that game in 2013, that film, me trying to run out there and block on a screen, and just my athleticism was was so much lower than what I was used to doing. It was just trying to figure out ways to uh, get guys blocked instead of, you know, figuring out ways to dominate players. It was just figuring out ways to get guys blocked. And so that was the most difficult thing to play through just because I couldn't physically move the way that I was used to moving and play the way I was used to playing. But definitely in those ribs in 2012, those were definitely the most painful thing uh, to go through. That was, that was, that was a tough situation. Now, I mean, I never am ever going to forget Thanksgiving Day seeing you guys come off the field and I, you, I, it was you specifically, I remember, like, identifying coming off the field because you all just played three, four days earlier a long overtime game and you won against Jacksonville, and then you win this. That was an improbable win, the way the game was going against right. Detroit. Right. I mean, everything swung off that four-set touchdown, quote-unquote. I mean, I thought the fans were – there was, like, it was close to a riot because they were throwing stuff on the field. They but, had reason. They yeah, had reason. yeah. I mean, they were, they were <laughs> they angry, justifiable. So, yeah. But I remember you coming off the field, and it looked like you all had lost the game. All of you guys, but I remember you, and then you've told us after the fact about your ribs. Yeah, and I was just like, oh man, that makes sense. It's just absolutely <laughs> spent, man, because I broke my ribs in the first quarter of that game against Jacksonville. And if you remember that, that was the game that Dre. It's like five quarters, time. yeah, it was a five quarter game basically, and he scores a touchdown on the screen pass. Um, and then we had to backdoor that with a, a Thursday morning game. It wasn't even Thursday night. Yeah, eleven a.m. Eleven a.m. game in Detroit. You had to travel. And so, and it was going against uh, Indomitian Sue and Nick Fairley. That that wasn't like there was no uh, there was no break or anything like that. Playing with in the fl- uh, playing with the uh, not a flat jacket, but what is the uh, I know what you're talking uh, about. The uh, I can't even think of the name like a protector of it. Protector around like a, your midsection. Yeah, and and so uh, it was rough. It was definitely rough. It was definitely painful, but. It was it was a lot better feeling knowing that we came out with two W's. I yeah. think it would have been even worse if we would have lost um, those games um, in overtime. It was a fun season. I mean, the sun set on Thanksgiving Day, and you guys had ten wins in the bank, and you'd win another game, and then New England on Monday Night Football happened. But that was a fun season. I mean, y'all were y'all were really rolling. I had what a five game win streak and a six game win streak there at one point. Yeah. 11-1, that was a nice start. Yeah, man, we, we played some games that people didn't necessarily think we were going to win. We went on the road and beat Chicago. 7-1 and one Chicago, yeah. Both, yeah. both of us were 7-1 and one at the time. It was, I think it was Sunday Night Football, mm-hmm. a big-time game. And, um, it, game. It, was one of, it was our type of game, you know what I mean? We won the game running the ball up front. Arian had a big game um, playing against a formidable defense. Mm-hmm. The Bears back then, as you know, Brian Erlacher and 
Lance Briggs and guys like Peanut that. Peanut Tillman had like eight forced fumbles that year. Yeah, Peanut Tillman and Julius Peppers. They had a they yeah, had a, they had a right. about Peppers that year. Yeah. And um, the field was terrible. It, it was reminded me of a throwback to like the way the Patriots fields used to be back in the day, where it was just slosh out there and um, and it was cold, wet, and you know what? We we grinded out a W. And those are like the the, the games that you really enjoy, especially as an offensive lineman, where you know it's a hey, the game is on our back. Um, let's go out and get it, and we went out and got it. You yeah, know I mean, our defense played really well. I thought Danielle Manning was really cool for him to to go back to Chicago, and I think he got at least one interception, maybe two. But he um, he made some big plays up there, so that was just a, a overall. That was that was one of the highlights I think of that season. It was. It was a cool season. A couple of your teammates, few of your teammates are now coaching again here. Their assistants. You got T.J. Yates. He's helping out on the offense. Cushing is. Assistant strength and conditioning, in addition to doing some other things as well. But Yates, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, he's a former quarterback, so he can obviously help out with Deshaun Watson and, and AJ McCarron. But that's not. I mean, having being a quarterback, you know the offense. You have to know all the offense, so he can kind of help out in some other areas as well. Maybe offensive line, even you know, receivers, running backs. Right. You think about TJ. He's already a, a hero in the city of Houston. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he he led us on the drive to to win our our, our first division against Cincinnati back in 2011, and you know, won some big ball games against the Falcons. And and when people kind of looked at us as like, okay, you lost Matt Schaub, you lost your quarterback, yeah. you, you have no shot because you lost Schaub and you lost Matt Leiner. Um, and so you have this, this third-string quarterback that's a rookie. He comes in, and, and TJ be, just became TJ. And he throughout his career with the Texans, he'd just come in there and, and win a big game that people didn't think they, that he could do. And so you have that kind of cachet. He's, he's definitely respected. Um, in the locker room, there's there's still some guys that are uh, still around from those days, and and TJ just always struck me as the type of guy coming to huddle, super cool. Um, never, never, the game was never too big for him, and you got to kind of have that mentality as a coach. You got to be able to be even killed and be able to understand that you're going to go through adversity, but you're going to have to fight your way through it. And so I think, you know, TJ being a coach, it just makes too much sense. And it's really cool that he gets to come back here to Houston and do yeah. that. And and the fact that he's such a young coach, that I think he can he can bridge um, some of the differences that you might have going on between a, a coaching staff and the, the current players. And so I think he's going to he's gonna be well uh, represented um, throughout the team because he's going to be able to communicate with the guys in ways that maybe an you know, older coach may not and be able to see it from that perspective and be able to relate those type of messages back and forth between him and, and, and the higher-ups. And it's wild. You talk about the connection. So he can connect with guys like Jonathan Joseph, yeah, who was here when he was here. JJ Watt was yeah. here when he was here. But then I, you forget about it. He was he was playing two seasons ago. So like yeah. Julian Davenport played with him. Yeah, knows yeah. him. And Julian Davenport is still in the almost the infancy of his NFL career. And there's a lot of guys that are his age that know TJ and played in, and were in the locker room with him. They're in the locker room. We're in the huddle with him. Yeah, in in, in critical situations, and critical moments, and know that like. This is that's TJ, and I, I think I think from a coach, I mean from a player's perspective, it's like man, wow, like like he, like you think about him and Cushing, like Cushing being in the weight room, yeah, um, it's awkward, it's funny, but it's cool at the same time. You know, I'm talking to some guys about like what is it like seeing Cush as a coach now, and they're like, you know, Cush is he's completely you know all in on being a coach, and it's it's cool to see. Um, and like I said, them having that ability to to be a coach and be respected but at the same time guys respect them from the fact that what they did on the field and what they did amongst the guys that are already here um i thought is a, a great 
um, thought process and implementation of, of a, a culture here with the Texans by getting guys like that to come back and coach. And it's something that I've seen um, done, like in New England. There's a bunch of guys that are former players that co- that end up coaching up there, and then they end up going either staying there or going throughout the league. And, and hopefully we can keep a TJ Yates here as, as long as possible, maybe eventually be the offensive coordinator, same with Brian Cushing and um, go from there. But, yeah, I think I think it's definitely going to help all the guys on the team with those guys being here. So what happens 2011 if Albert Hainsworth doesn't squish Matt Schaub's foot, Matt Schaub plays the rest of the season? I'm probably wearing a ring on my finger. That's you think so? Big. Yeah, that, that was the type of team we had, man. If, if, if you just give us two out of the – we might have had like six or seven key injuries that year. But let us keep Matt Schaub and let us keep Mario Williams. Just let, let, let those two guys stay healthy for the entire season. Mario had five sacks in five games, and he goes out for the year. And you have a guy like Brooks Reed comes in and has his best year of his career yeah. as a rookie. Um, you lose Matt Schaub. At the time, I think we were 7-3, and three, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, and, you know, when you look at what happened in the playoffs – and some of the games we lost down the stretch, a lot of times we were, we, were, we were playing against the Ravens on the road and we turned the ball over a little bit too much. You know it's, what I mean? It, it didn't – it was a loss. I still say that's one of the five best games in this, this team's history. I mean, it was an amazing game. It was an amazing game, and just looking at it from the perspective of a guy that's up front, the, our offensive line and our defensive line dominated that football oh, game. Oh, man. Like, we dominated that football game. And so usually when an offense and a defensive line dominates the game, you're going to win the game. And yeah. the reason we didn't win the game is because, you know, we had a, a muff punt. We had too many interceptions, too many turnovers. And so that was what caught, caught this game. It was still a close game. We had the ball at the end of the game to try to tie it up and, and send it to overtime. But you turn the ball over too much in the playoffs, on the road against a really good team, it's a recipe for, for taking an L. And – you know, you can't get those those games back. And so I think that, if you know, if you had Matt Schaub as quarterback, those turnovers, I don't think they're going to be there. I think that if you have Mario Williams still playing um, stand-up outside linebacker, I mean, it's it's even more dominating of a performance that you have against the Ravens. And we beat them, and then we go up. I think we would have probably had to play New England that next week, and I think we would have went up there and beat them. And then, I don't know, Super Bowl. Well, that's – okay, that's if – yeah, if your record had – Stayed the same, but you gotta wonder. Well, yeah, would the record yeah. have been better with those two guys that you're talking about? That's a good point. We probably win a couple more. Maybe games you're at maybe home, you have yeah. a home game. Think mm-hmm. about that at a home AFC Championship game, and maybe we didn't. Maybe we wouldn't had to go on the road to play Baltimore. Maybe yeah. we would have been here to play Baltimore. A lot of things, domino effect, butterfly effect, all those type of things. Uh, Could have, should have, would have. But we, when you look at that team and you look at the amount of talent that was on that team, I think on the offense there was at least. I want to say nine guys that either had already went to a Pro Bowl, went to the Pro Bowl that year, or went to the Pro Bowl within Thanks two years. And then the same with the defense. I mean, you got guys like Glover Quinn that was on that defense, Connor Barwin, Antonio Smith, J.J. Watt, Ryan Cushing, D'Amico Ryans, um, Jonathan Joseph, yep. Daniel Manning, Kareem Jackson. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm counting on my finger. I'm at nine now. Um, that's just a ridiculous amount of talent we had on the defense. And then you then look at what we had on our offense. You had Dwayne, myself, Chris. You had uh, – It was the best line in team. The 10 know, and 11 lines yeah, were the best team. You had Eric team. Winston, yeah. Mike Brazel. Uh, you had Andre Johnson. You had Owen Daniels, Arian Foster. I mean, you even had – think about our running backs. Our running backs were deep. That was the year that Ben, ben Tate, Tate almost had 1,000 yards rushing. Like, we had, we had a really good scheme that we could line up and – 
and put out there against anybody and be successful on offense. Um, you had Wade Phillips in his first year as a defensive coordinator. You know throughout the history of the league what that means. It's a major it's turnaround. A, it's going to be a ma- it was a major turnaround, and it's going to be a, a group that's a, a dominating group. And so, um, but like I said, you get in the playoffs, you can't turn the ball over. You have yeah. to be able to protect the football, and that's what we did not do, and that's why we did not win win at all. Everyone always brings up you know Schaub had he stayed healthy, but you you brought up Mario Williams. It's a very fascinating point as well because he winds up leaving in free agency for the Bills and had had good seasons there for a few years. But yeah, that that was kind of a big deal. Him switching and playing outside linebacker when Wade came in, and he was doing swimmingly at it. And you you don't you don't even know necessarily if he would have ever left because I think it made it easier yeah. for the Texans to let him go because he got hurt. Mm-hmm. And then you saw what Brooks Reed, Reed did while he was gone. And you said, well, maybe we can. And you just got a second round pick on yeah, Brooks, yeah. Yeah, and so and then you know what it what it cost you to to keep Mario, but. Yeah, man, I I think those two injuries because I remember that year. I want to say that was the year that that Dre missed a significant amount of time that year as well. Andre and Arian kind of they were kind of like a tag team. One would have some hamstring injuries and be out, yeah. and then he'd come back, and then the other would be out. And, yeah, I mean, Arian still I think had twelve hundred some yards, and yeah. he missed at least a quarter of the season to injuries. But that was the year Owen Daniels was your leading receiver. Because he, I mean, he played the whole year. Played the whole year, and Dre was out. You know, Mr. so much. Third down, making all those plays. Yeah, he had Jacoby Jones that was making some big time plays that year. But, but yeah, man, like I said, you just look at the overall talent makeup of that team, that roster. It, you can match that up against a lot of teams around the league, and and I don't know many teams that you can say, you know what, guy for guy, they had a better group than the Texans did in 2011. Yeah. Okay, let's rewind a, a little bit. 2009, you're not here yet, right? But coming off of a really good season. He was the AFC Rookie of the Year. Steve Slayton in 09 had some injuries, but really he was fumbling the ball a lot. So at the end of the year, Arian kind of gets his shot. Arian Foster has a 100-yard game, played really well against the Dolphins. They close out the season with a win here over the Patriots. But even still, they go into the offseason in 10, sign you, and then in the draft, second round, they take Ben Tate. Right. And a lot of people, I'm not saying within the organization, but a lot of people outside thought, okay, well, it's going to be Tate. And Steve Slayton, and we'll see what Arian this guy does, but it's going to be these two guys. I mean, Slayton was just down a little bit. When did you know, and when did you see? Because you weren't here for the other stuff. Right. You get here in 10. Right. When did you know that Arian Foster was going to be and could turn out to be the Arian Foster that we know who he is now? It wasn't until we got into, I would say, I don't know if it was training camp or it might have been like, let's say, week two or three of OTAs. Mm-hmm. Because, like you said, coming in – you know, I didn't know Arian Foster was going to be Arian Foster. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was just a guy that I remember a couple of guys on the O-line telling me, like, yeah, you know, this Foster kid we got, he, he played pretty well last year. Um, we think he's going to be pretty good. But it was never, you know, this guy is going to end up being the leading rusher in the history of the franchise and um, go to multiple Pro Bowls. But you saw him, his vision, his his ability to one cut and get downhill, Um his ability, to, how smooth he ran the ball, catching the ball out of the backfield. Um, you saw that, like, I, I want to say it was probably week two of OTAs, and especially in training camp, and it was like, all right, we, we got us one here. And so you, you had him, and then, of course, like you said, most people thought once they drafted Ben Tate, I was thinking to myself, okay, this is the guy that uh, I'm going to end up blocking for. Yeah. Because you pay attention to stuff like that. When You know, I had just left Kansas City. I had Jamal Charles, which was a young 
up and coming back, had a thousand yards in the last eight games of the season. And dynamite, so, yeah, he was a dynamite runner. Right, and so I'm leaving from there, coming here, and you know the thought process is you come in here and help, you know, help kind of change the culture a little bit with the offensive line. It, it has an identity that is not the type of identity that we want to have up front. And so it's like, all right, cool, we got this Ben Take here. This is who we're going to be blocking for. And, but when you, when you got into it, you kind of saw what you had in Arian. And then you saw, of course, Ben Take got hurt that year. Um, we, we went down into, uh, I think it was uh, it was a preseason Arizona. game in Arizona. His Arizona, ankle basically yeah. exploded. Yeah, and yeah. so it was like – it it was it was like all right we're gonna be good but then when we played against the Colts and what we did to the Colts it was just like man this is ridiculous like two hundred like when when you know when you make a decision and that was the moment that I knew that like I definitely made the perfect decision to come here to Houston because seeing the reaction to the crowd how excited everybody was because remember the Colts was a team that the Texans just could not beat. They were the you bullies I mean? for a decade, they were the bullies for decade a long and a half, time, yeah. and we we literally punched them in the mouth all day long, and and we sent them home packing, and you could feel it; it was palpable with the crowd. And so, you know, the fact that you know Arian he that that I think his either his jersey or that ball ends up in the Hall of Fame. That's week one, yeah. And then week two, we we backdoor that while we go to 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 Washington and and Shabby passes for five hundred thirty one yards, and Dre makes the catch, famous catch, 10. yeah, yeah. And so it was just like. Man, this offense is crazy. We do 231-yard rusher week one, and then we have a 531-yard passer the next year. So that 2010 year, man, we we went, I think, 6-10 and 10 that year. Our offense was awesome. The, uh, yeah, the pass defense just – it couldn't it, – it, you had two rookies at corner, and yeah, the and safeties the, were a little weaker. Than, yeah. And we struggled. Tough. Once once uh, D'Amico got hurt – we were 4-2 yeah. at the time. Once D'Amico got hurt, that was a huge loss for the defense, and – for the rest of the year, it was just kind of like, you know, our offense would get a lead and late in the ball game, um, the other team would have the ball and they'd figure out a way to score. And it was tough to watch um, as a player. You're on giving the indigestion with the memories. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember it very well. What's it like doing radio with Travis Johnson? Is it fun as it sounds? It definitely is, man. Like, it's, it's funny because Travis and I were never teammates. People right, think right. that, but like. We were never teammates. Uh, people ask us all the time. But Travis and I are born on the same day, a year apart. Um, we are very different and very alike at the same time. And so I think it plays well when we're, we're on our show. Um, it, it's, it's really cool. We were actually talking about it last night on our show, um, and or uh, Wednesday night on our show, and we were basically saying, like, how we, we met. The first time we met, so um, – Andre Johnson, his mom, they have a charity called Pace Moms. And so they did a, a charity bowling event um, in Dallas during the Super Bowl. That was in 2011. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so during that whole ice storm. Sure, type sure. Of yeah, so we're there. And my wife, when I played for the Texans, my my, my wife would get um, a, a camera. It was like a high-powered camera. And she would take photos of me and the team. Like during the game, she always loved photography, and she'd come up with these really like awesome pictures. Like, it, I, I, one day I need to collect all of like my best shots that I've ever had in my career are always been from her from the crowd. Really, that's yeah, cool. She has some really awesome shots. I and know so that. If you go on my Instagram, a lot of those pictures that are on my Instagram at smitty74 all day on Instagram, you go check it out. A lot of those are pictures that my wife took. Oh, cool. Well, there's a picture of me um, when we played the Chargers in 2010, and I'm dumping number 96 who at the time was <laughs> Travis Johnson on his head and so uh, at one point I told her like yeah I, was, I think she was asking me like who are all the people that are going to be at some whatever event and I was telling her like yeah that's Travis Johnson at that time I had met him already 
but or or maybe I didn't meet him yet, but I had through like one degree of separation we knew about him. Yeah, I mean he had been around here. He was a first round pick. Right. A lot of guys. Right. And so at that event though, um, I'm introducing him to my wife. I'm like, yeah, Travis, this is my wife, Rita Smith, and she's like, oh, are you? Aren't you the one that my baby had dumped on the head that we took that picture of? <laughs> so Travis, Travis being Travis. He just started laughing like, yeah, you know, he got me that time. He got my time. Like, where, as in a lot of people would have oh, got that, that, sensitive and yeah, they would have been yeah. like, you know. Well, that's a body blow to a lot of people. Right. Yeah. But he just took that in stride and left it off. And I was like, man, Trap is, Trap is all right with me. You yeah. Know? And so, uh, yeah, that, that was a funny story, though, because, you know, that was the first thing she says. It's like, oh, yeah, that's that the one I took a picture of that you dumped on. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Did a season, I can't, it might have been 13 of pregame hits with Travis for the Fox pregame show, Fox yeah. Sports pre and Travis and I on the field. It, it was so much fun. I mean, it was just, it was easy to do. Just add, it was like putting a ball on a tee and he, you know, hit home runs, but he, because he has such a good personality and he's funny as hell. And he's, show. he's been through and come across so many people yeah. in his life. Him growing up in California and, and, you know, there's not anyone that he's not at least one degree separation from. Like, yeah. like he knows so many different people and he has so many stories that you can draw from. And so I think it, it plays well on our show. Let me get him in on this podcast sometime you soon. You need to. You need I to. I do. I do. Tell me about the foundation, man. It's, I, I've always been a huge fan of it. You've been slaying it for, what, seven years now? Eight years? I started in 2012 and it's 19 now. So okay. I guess if you count 12 and this is yeah. eight years now, it's crazy. It's great. Like, uh, for those that don't know, you. So the Waysmith Foundation, our, our main focus is childhood literacy and education. And so we are, we have a, a couple of our two major programs is reading with the pros and our Smitty scholarship program. And so our Smitty scholarship program is giving out over $150,000 in scholarships nice. to kids here in Houston and in Dallas, um, offered to outgoing seniors. And then we have our reading with the pros program where we go to, uh, I'll get myself and current and former NFL guys. I'll get, um, radio disc jockeys, TV personalities, firefighters, policemen, just professionals in all different realms. Um, entrepreneurs, and we go talk to kids about the importance of reading and how cool it is and how it opens their mind to so many different opportunities. And you're doing this, I mean, this is a constant thing. It seems like every time I turn around, I see you guys are at a new elementary school doing this. Right. We do this, you know, depending on, at least, like, usually like three or four times a month, you yeah. know, we're doing it. And so, like, this year we partnered with the Fort Bend ISD, um, and so we did a reading contest called the Read All the Way Contest. And so these these six elementary schools, or excuse me, five elementary schools competed with each other mm -hmm. to see who would read the most books over a four-month time span. And so between the, the, the five schools that read over 80,000 books, the winning school had read over 54,000 books in that four-month time span. And they were coming in doing um, reading sessions before and after school, um, literacy nights at the school so that they could read wow. as many books as possible. And, and the, the cool thing about it is is that going back to the schools during the follow-up and just talking to them about the different stories that they read and, and what they liked about the different books that they read. And you could tell that they had a bunch of recall of the stories and they had some, they had like a, a lot of different ideas of things they wanted to do. And now since I've written a couple of my children's books and they, and I was able to share those books with them at those schools. Um, they're telling me stories about the book that they read, they wrote, or that um, the story that they wrote about something they oh, that's did school, when they went to school that day, and just various topics. And it's just getting their mind, um, getting getting that ball rolling, and getting their mind thinking about like how creative can I be? What can I? What can I write about and leave behind to maybe a younger kid or younger sibling or somebody like that that 
that will last forever. And yeah. so I think this is it's really cool experience just to 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 be out there with the kids. I I love it. Like we have these these uh these programs and they they're supposed to last an hour. And so they they last an hour ish for the, all of the volunteers that come with me but I'm usually there an hour and a half two yeah. hours just because if I'm reading the kids or answering questions and things of that nature it's very hard to get me away sure yeah you know I mean I, I, I enjoy it and so yeah you're unlocking so many different things by getting them to read like yeah, you said that's the thing man like a lot of times it's just about opportunity and it's about you um realizing that there's something bigger than what you see on a day-to-day basis there's a huge world out there there's a huge, um, um, there's this a huge opportunity for you to go out there and, and get if you put your education first. If you if you work as hard in the classroom as what you may do um, on a football field or what you may do um, in in art or something else that you like, you really love to do. If you put that much passion and effort into it of what you do with your education. You can go wherever you want to go in life. I think education is the, is the, the biggest equalizer that you have out there. It doesn't matter um, your social economic background. And 99% of the schools, like all the schools that we're partnered with for Fort Ben ISD, they're all Title I schools. So all of these schools are schools that, um, you know, the majority of the kids there are on free or reduced lunch. They're in neighborhoods that um, there there is a, a void there. And so that's what we try to do with the Waysmith Foundation is go out there and, and, and fill that void and and let people know let kids know that you can be whatever you want to be in life and the quickest way to get there is by using your brain i applaud it man it's it's an awesome awesome organization doing fantastic things so you're doing radio you get your foundation but you're also the father of four so how's that you've got four daughters i do ranging in age from where to where and you it's like they're all great athletes so like my from 14 i have a 14 year old a 12 year old a seven year old and then uh a one and a half well she's she's 20 months so she's she's getting closer to turning two but it's crazy because like my oldest daughter she's 14 uh, she plays club volleyball houston juniors volleyball club the best best volleyball club in 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 houston and so um she plays on their top team but She's getting recruited by, you know, all of the top teams in in the United States of America, which is crazy. It's got to be bananas for you because you went through the recruiting process. I went through the process. My my wife went through the process. We both were athletes at the University of Memphis, student athletes there, and both got our degrees there. Um, But to see, like, how the the types of schools that are, you know, basically all the teams that were at the Final Four last year, they're the ones that are knocking on the door. Those are the ones that are – um, really interested in and high on her, and so it, it's really cool. And the fact that you know her team is really, she has a really, really talented team, a really good team, and they're getting ready for uh, junior nationals this summer coming up in Indy. And so really excited about that. But I have my 12 year old that she's right behind her. She's competitive and she plays she plays volleyball as well. They play the same position. They, well, I mean, every time you come in here, my my first question is, well, where are you off to next? And yeah, you're, you're you're like crisscrossing the country doing these club tournaments traveling all over the place yeah. Spokane, washington chicago kansas city dallas Jeez. san antonio like we've been all over we're getting ready to go back to dallas again for a pre-nationals tournament and then we'll go up to uh we'll go up to indy at the at the end of june and so we're trying to figure out like all right what are we going to do this summer normally we do like a little family va- oh, vacation it's all taken and, care and, of with and, volleyball yeah, right? and, and the way the schedule set up is like oh, i don't know if we're going to be able to do it this year <laughs> so I, i'm trying to i'm trying to work the days out and figure it out because my, my daughter's actually trying out she tried out for like a, a high performance uh usa volleyball 
cool. uh, program. And so she gets that. That's like a 10-day thing in Fort Lauderdale. So we'll find out soon if she made that team or not. But whether she does or not, man, I'm just really proud of her because she does such a great job in the classroom. Um, she she Her schedule is ridiculous. She's in orchestra. She's got her school stuff. Wow. She's got volleyball stuff. You know, getting home for practice at like 10 o'clock at night, waking back up and having to do – um, you know, go to go to to whatever she has going on in school the next. Ah, uh, when they're that age, though, they've got boundless energy, right? They have a lot of energy, but I'm gonna tell you this: <laughs> I I never, like I said, my kids impressed me because I was I played football in in in, in high school, and that was it. Yep. I, was, I, I made sure I had good grades, and I played football, and that was it. And th- these kids are extremely versatile, and so it's it's really cool. It's definitely a credit to their mother, no huh? question about that. That's awesome. I got about fifty more questions for you, but it's like you're your reading thing it's i said 20 minutes and we're going on 37 minutes here so we got to wrap this up but <laughs> wade it's always cool talking with you maybe we come back and do this again sometime i won't bug you i'll get you on the tv show again real soon but we'd no love to question. get you back on the podcast this is fun i gotta ask some deep dark questions about teams of the texans past and uh, we'll get into that so that sound good and plus we got definitely would do that and plus um our, our foundation has a huge event coming up september 20th yes so, what's the deal um, tell, yeah we can talk about that well, what's, it, what's the deal? It, it's called bulls and blackjack um we actually did the, the same event a couple years ago during super bowl and mm-hmm. it's a it's a charity um casino night and texas hold'em tournament um that we did and so um we're doing it this year again. We're doing it at the historian here in Houston. It's on September 20th, and so you'll be, we'll be uh, sharing information on the details about that. You, they'll, we'll have celebrities that'll be playing poker cool. um, at the Texas Hold'em tables to where they'll be playing for the charity of their choice. And so the first year we did it, you know, Ray Lewis was there, Whitney Merciless, Arian Foster, Adrian Peterson. It was a lot of big. Rogers Clemens was there playing oh, yeah. for his charity, and so it's really cool to see because the last. The last celebrity standing wins ten thousand dollars to the charity of their choice. Who won it that year? Um, actually, it was a it was a pro um, poker player named Maria Ho, who she played on behalf of the Wade Smith Foundation because I couldn't play myself because I'm hosting the event, <laughs> and so I brought in a ringer. I like it. <laughs> I, I brought like in a ringer and so got she a pro to crush got it. Huh? She crushed it. And, and, and but tell that this thing about poker, man. You can be a pro or you can just be your first time playing the game. Yeah. And you can get lucky. You can go on a go on a run or you can get unlucky and it can knock you out. And the 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 fun thing is that the the patrons that are sitting at the table with the the professional or the the celebrities mm-hmm. you get prizes for knocking the celebrities out oh wow you know what i mean so you got you know when whitney mercer's got knocked out they got a, a, a prize and i can't remember exactly what the prizes was but it's like you know it might be a trip here or it might be That's a cool. staycation here but you get these prizes for knocking these guys out of tournament and then all the funds get raised and it goes to um, a, a great cause, the Wasteman Foundation, and all the stuff that we're doing here in the city of Houston and around the state of Texas. September 20th, that's the night? September 20th, yes, sir. Can't wait. All right, Wade, 40 good minutes, my friend. We appreciate you coming on, and we'll do this again sometime soon. Sound cool? Appreciate you having me, Drew.